Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of medieval warlords. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today we're talking about the city of Nico. So Nico, just to give you an idea of where it is, pretty much straight north from Tokyo. You can get there in just a couple hours by train from Tokyo. It's located in rural northwestern Tochigi Prefecture. So it is not a big place. Like downtown Nikko doesn't have skyscrapers or anything like that. This is a little mountain town. Yeah, as of 2020, the estimated population was about 80,000 residents. Okay. So little city, but definitely not skyscraper type city. Mm-hmm. And it is a very popular destination for both domestic and international tourists. Like I said, it doesn't take too long from Tokyo. So you could do a day trip if you really wanted to, but there's so much cool stuff to see there. I think I would recommend doing at least a couple days there. Absolutely. Honestly, you could probably fill up the better part of a week in Nico. Yeah. If you so chose to. Mm -hmm. There's lots of cool temples and shrines. A lot of natural beauty up there. There's Nikko National Park. There's a lot of onsen so that, you know, if you're doing a lot of hiking or walking to these different attractions, you can chill out in a nice hot bath. They got great regional food. There's a lot of history there. Definitely, definitely history, yeah. A little something for everyone. Yeah. Did you hear the saying the Japanese have about Nikko? I don't think so. They say, never say Kekko. Until you see Nico. Okay, yeah, I did see that, I guess. So Kekko means beautiful, or I'm satisfied or magnificent, that type of thing. Yeah, like if somebody asks if you want something, and you're like, no, I'm okay, you say Kekko des. So it's like, I think the saying is supposed to mean like, don't say, oh, I'm okay, I don't, I don't need to go do that until you've actually seen Nico. Yeah, you know? it's a reference of all the beautiful sights in Nico that you can go see. Mm-hmm. Like, you gotta go see him. Yeah. Well, I mentioned there was some history to be had in Nico, so let's talk history. Let's start in 766. I think that's a good time to start. All right. So there's this Buddhist monk, Shodo Shonin was his name, and he established a temple called Shihon Ryuji. He also established a shrine called Futarasan Shrine. This was a site of mountain worship for these three sacred mountains around there. You got Mount Nantai, Mount Nyoho, and Mount Taro. And then in 784, he established another temple known as Chuzenji. So, you know, there's this big sacred area, basically, with all these sacred buildings that he's founding. And basically, Nico developed as a temple town around this sacred area. Exactly. And I want to point out, at the time, you know, back 1,200 years ago or whatever, these places, like these temples and shrines, weren't considered separate temples and shrines like they are now. They would have been thought of as a part of the same collective holy place. Because if you remember... If you're a longtime listener of the podcast and you listened to episode nine when we talked about temples and shrines, we talked about how it wasn't until the Meiji Restoration when temples and shrines were split apart. Yeah, exactly. So Nico is one of the few places that still has 
a bit of a mixture going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that a little more later, I think. Yeah. So due to Nico's remote location in the mountains, it attracted other Buddhist monks that were seeking solitude. You know, they wanted to get out in nature. They wanted to commune with the kami, right? So a lot of monks came, including a few very famous monks that ended up founding their own sects of Buddhism. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think we talked about Kukai before, right? Does that name sound familiar at all? It does. I think he might have been the founder of Shingon Buddhism. We've talked wrong. about so many temples. And different sects. Yeah. Can't keep them all straight. Uh, around the 1200s, the Kamakura Shogunate was in power. We've talked about them before. Yeah. And those guys were apparently big fans of Nico. And uh, that really helped Nico flourish in the following centuries. It became more and more of a destination in Japan. Nico became even more famous during the Edo period. Our old friend Tokugawa Ieyasu, who established the Edo Bakufu, the military government that finally united Japan in 250 years of peace after the Warring States period, he really liked Nico. Yeah, so I just want to pause on him for a moment because he's a super, super important figure. You know, we've talked about him before, but if you're not familiar, he's basically like the most important guy in Japanese history. You could definitely make that argument. And I want to mention, if you want to learn more about how Japan was united and how he came into power, I want to recommend this historical documentary on Netflix, at least on American Netflix right now called Age of Samurai Battle for Japan. Paul, have you gotten a chance to watch that yet? I haven't. It's so good, man. You know, we've talked about this guy so many times in the podcast, but I still learned so much about his life and how he ended up where he ended up through this documentary. So I recommend it to anybody listening to this that is interested in learning more about him. Yeah. Man, he had a, he had a wild story of his life. Mm-hmm. And the documentary starts all the way back at the birth of Oda Nobunaga and tells that whole story up until the very beginning of the Edo period. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. That's such a great story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, so Tokugawa Ieyasu, he died in 1616, right? Yep. Which was a big deal. And in his will, he said that a year after his death, he wanted a small shrine in Nikko to be established for him. And so this is why and how the Nikko Toshogu Shrine came to be. And this is now like the biggest attraction in Nikko. Yeah, his mausoleum is in that shrine and it houses his spirit. Now, Paul, let me ask you something. Yeah. Where are Tokugawa Ieyasu's remains? Like I don't his know. physical body. I don't know. A lot of people think that he is buried here in Nikko at the shrine. You got the real story? I think I do. Okay. So, from what I could tell, he was actually buried on Kunozan, a mountain in Shizuoka Prefecture. And actually, Paul, I look back, you said that back when we did the Chubu region episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I saw some sources online saying that his remains were here at Nico, and I'm like, whoa, 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 that doesn't sound right. So, I, I did a deep dive. And... Even like Wikipedia says that his remains are at Nico. I'm pretty sure they're wrong though. 
It sounds like it's just his spirit that is enshrined here at the shrine, as it is at several other Toshogu shrines around the country, in like other places where the Tokugawas lived. But yeah, his body is at Kunozan. And I have a little more a little more to say about that as we get a little bit further along in the history. Okay. So this small Toshogu shrine was constructed in Nikko. It became a big draw for the area, obviously because it enshrined this really, really important guy. But it's just a little shrine. There's not much there to see today, right? Not right. <laughs> oh, man. What happened? Well, in 1651, Ieyasu's grandson, Iemitsu, he was a really big fan of his grandpa's. And he decided that Ieyasu deserved more than just a little shrine. He wanted a big shrine, but not even just a big shrine. He wanted the most magnificent shrine complex ever seen before. I've heard it described as flamboyant. He built an amazing ode to his grandfather. Yeah. Which I also think was a shrewd political move because it was still a young dynasty at this point. And Ieyasu was their legitimacy. So he tied himself as closely as possible to his grandfather to legitimize their rule. Mm -hmm. And he, I think Iemitsu himself was a very important figure in Japanese history because he ruled well for a while and helped establish that dynasty after all those years. The first and second peaceful transfers of power in a new dynasty is always super dicey. Yeah. But they made it happen. And he was shrewd like this. And Iemitsu built himself a mausoleum nearby, but purposely made it not as grand and not as nice. Yeah, I didn't want to overshadow his grandfather that he respected so much. That was another shrewd political move to make himself look really good. Yeah, totally. So I saw a lot of numbers thrown around when people were talking about him building this shrine for his grandfather. Yeah. So they say that he enlisted the best artists in the country. I saw numbers like 127,000 craftsmen. Okay. I also saw numbers like more than 450,000 laborers. Okay. So I'm wondering, like, are these craftsmen maybe the people that are doing all the intricate carvings and stuff and the laborers? you know, includes all the people that are just kind of doing more general construction kind of work. I don't know. That's a huge number of people. That blows me away. Yeah. And apparently he spent the equivalent of 250 million US dollars. And it only took 17 months to complete this rebuild. It's almost like everybody in the country was working on this thing. Yeah. This was a big project and they wanted it done fast. So back to the thing about the... uh uncertainty around where Ieyasu's remains are. I read that it was right after this rebuild that that rumor popped up about Ieyasu's remains being buried there. And I think this kind of ties back into what you were saying about how he was, you know, it was a a political move to make them look really powerful because supposedly this deception was started by the shogunate itself. They wanted to show how powerful they were by having the greatest tomb shrine in the land. You know, it was a shrine so elaborate that it rivals that of an emperor. Yeah. They were the ones in charge. They want everybody to know it. Yeah. Apparently there, there's evidence of this in the writings of a spiritual advisor to Ieyasu. And also 
the modern day Tokugawa family head, you know, the descendants of the Tokugawa family. Yeah. They visit the tomb at Kunozan, Toshogu Shrine, not the one in Nikko. Okay. Interesting. Seems, I'm pretty confident that his remains are at Kunozan. The, The family knows. If anybody does, they do, right? Yeah. Unless they're all got some angle to con us now. Maybe. No, but that makes sense. They're going to honor their ancestor where they know he is. Yeah. And it sounds like fairly recently, I don't know, some historians have confirmed somehow, or at least they're in agreement that the remains are at Kunozan. So, okay. So there you go. So in the Meiji period, Nikko became popular with foreign visitors to Japan. And before long, they built train lines to make it even more accessible. And since then, Nikko has kind of been slowly expanding, it seems like, and absorbing neighboring areas. Like in uh, 1954, it merged with the neighboring village of Okorogawa, and in 2006, it absorbed several neighboring towns and villages. And of course, these days, it's a popular tourist destination for people from around the world. And like I said, a lot of cool stuff to see and do and eat. All right, Jason, should we take a imaginary trip to Nico in our minds? Let's do it. We're going to take the train to Nico from Tokyo. How about that? Okay, sounds good. Where should we go first? What should we do? I'm thinking, why don't we make our first stop at Nico Station? Seems like a good place to start. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Nico Station is kind of right around where all the touristy stuff is. I saw this area called the Heart of Nico. This would have been like the original Nico before it started absorbing all those neighboring areas. Old city Nico. Yeah. So we're getting off the train. We walk outside the station. Let's head northwest from here. I think that's where all this touristy stuff is. I'm following you. Okay. We're walking, we're walking. Oh, it hey. It takes us 362 steps. <laughs> oh, I think that's a river. We're coming up on a river here. Ooh, it's beautiful. Oh, it looks like it's called the Daya River. And I see this, there's this bridge here, like a modern bridge. There are some cars crossing, there are some people walking across there. But, oh, wait, what's this? There are all these tourists, like, standing on the side of the bridge, pointing cameras over down the river a ways. What's up with that? Now let's go take a look. Oh, man, there's another bridge down there. But that oh, one, cool. lo- this one looks old and cool. Yeah, it's like a, a footbridge, and it's really, it's one of those old religious-y, you know, red bridges. <laughs> Yeah, it's called Shinkyo Bridge, hmm. and it is ranked as one of Japan's three finest bridges. I don't know who comes up with these lists. I know. But Every episode we have like, oh, this, there's a list of the top 10 of whatever, whatever this thing is. I don't know. Yeah. They yeah. just have top 10 lists all over the place in Japan, apparently. Oh, wait till we get to the waterfall slate. We got some <laughs> yeah. more lists coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the current Shinkyo Bridge was constructed in 1636, but it's believed that a bridge of some kind has marked that spot for much longer. Mm-hmm. But it's unclear exactly when the first one was erected. There's actually a legend about when the first bridge 
appeared there. Ah, oh, hit me. I like legends. So Shodo Shonin, that first monk that we talked about that basically founded Nico. Yeah. He wanted to climb Mount Nantai, one of those three sacred mountains around, but he couldn't find a place to cross the river. So he stopped and prayed and asked the gods for help. And a 10 foot tall kami called Jinja Dayo appeared. He looked like a big devil, I guess. 10 foot tall devil. Okay. And he cast down a pair of snakes that stretched across the river to form a bridge. So Shinkyo Bridge is also known as the Snake Bridge for this reason. And there's actually a statue of Shodo Shonin nearby too. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I guess snakes are kind of bridge-shaped if you stretch them out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Make more sense than like making a donkey a bridge or something. Sure. Pictures are free. You can pay a small fee to walk across the bridge and back. Yep. 300 yen, I believe. All right, so let's cross this free bridge, Paul. I'm feeling a bit cheap today. Yeah, let's save our coins. All right. Okay, we're on the other side of the bridge. Let's head west from here. I think that's where all the cool stuff is. Okay. doop de doop de doo <laughs> Oh, hey. I think that's Rinoji. That's uh, an ancient Tendai Buddhist temple... I think that's like the first one that Shoto Shonin founded. It sure is. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't actually called that until the Edo period. I saw that the emperor gave it that name in the Edo period. So let's walk up and see the temple's main building. Okay. I've heard that inside it houses large gold lacquered wooden statues of three gods. Sweet. Oh yeah, the that's the hall of the three Buddhas, right? Yeah. The three deities are regarded as Buddhist manifestations of Nico's three mountain deities. Oh, cool. Paul, look at that. There's even a, I think that's a famous cherry blossom tree there that's estimated to be 500 years old. Whoa. That's really old. Yeah. And look at this. This whole complex is really big. There's like so much stuff around here. There's a Japanese garden over there. It's all these buildings. There's a treasure house that houses Buddhist and Tokugawa-related exhibits. Sounds like it has a lot of classical Japanese art, and uh, that has a Japanese garden, too. Yeah, definitely taking a look there. So let's head north from here, because I think that's how we get to Nikko's biggest attraction, that Nikko Toshogu Shrine. So like you said, this is the one built to honor Tokugawa Ieyasu, easily one of the most elaborate shrines in the country. Yeah. I almost feel like it was the Japanese era of Rococo, if that makes sense. Like, it's just very intricate wooden carvings. It's like a lot going on. Every building is very lavishly decorated. Yeah. I was reminded of the Baroque period. Okay. So... Here we are at the base of the shrine, standing in front of Yomeimon Gate, also known as the Sunset Gate. And this thing is a national treasure, and it looks super cool, super ornate and colorful, like everything else at this shrine. And they call it the Sunset Gate because you could just sit and watch it all day until the sun goes down. Just sit and stare at it. 
Yeah, never get bored. Yeah, there's so much to see. All those little details. I've heard uh, it described as Japan's most ornate structure. The like, the gate? The gate, yeah. Okay. It's very detailed and beautiful carvings all over it. Yeah, if you're one of those people that like has seen a bunch of temples and shrines in Japan and you're kind of over it, you know, it's like, oh, they all kind of look the same, whatever, I'm not interested. This place will still be like, whoa, okay, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. If you can ever get past the gate, there's over a dozen buildings, all lavishly decorated, and it's sat inside like a forest. Very beautiful place. Definitely. And I mean, all these buildings just have so many super detailed carvings. Like you could spend all day just going around looking at all these little carvings. Yeah, there's some specific, very famous carvings. Yeah. I think I see one of them over here. <laughs> Is it the monkeys? I want to see yeah. the monkeys. Yeah, here's the stable for the shrine Sacred Horses. And up top there, you can see that carving of the three wise monkeys. Maybe you've heard of these guys. They're the ones that embody the saying, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. No one's covering his ears, one's covering his eyes, one's covering his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Pretty well known. Yep. There's also a, a sleeping cat carving that's pretty famous. But my very favorite is Sozonozo. Did you hear about this guy, Paul? No. It translates to imagined elephants. Ah, the elephants. Okay. I love the elephants because they were apparently carved by an artist who had never seen an elephant before. (laughs) And they're great. (laughs) Like, he got close, you know, but not quite. But he missed the mark in the best way. Like, these things look hilariously awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And there's, this is early Edo period. So there's no photographs. He's maybe seen other people's drawings or paintings of elephants. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's going off of. Yeah. They're pretty cool looking. So northwest from Toshogu is Futarasan Shrine. This is another one that was founded by Shodo Shonin, that first monk in Nikko. And this one is dedicated to the kami of the three sacred mountains. And it's actually named after one of them. Mount Nantai is also known as Futarasan. That's where the name of the shrine came from. Its main attractions include the bright red shrine pavilion and, I'm a little more interested in this part, the haunted garden lantern next to the shrine building. Did you see anything about this? Ooh, spooky. They call it Bakedoro, which means, well, if you listen to our first Halloween episode, we talked about yokai, right? Uh We talked about a subclass of yokai called bakemono. That bake indicates that these are shapeshifters. And a toro is a Japanese lantern. So this is a haunted lantern. And legend says that the lantern changes into a spooky shape when it's lit at night. And apparently there are still marks on it from the swords that were swung at it by startled samurai that saw it (laughs) shape-shifting, I guess. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's cool. Also, that Shinkyo bridge, that first bridge that we saw, that also belongs to this shrine. Mm -hmm. So let's head west from here. Let's go see Taiyuin. Okay. Taiyuin is the mausoleum that uh, Tokugawa Iemitsu... Uh, built for himself. Mm-hmm. 
So he's enshrined and entombed there. Like, I, I believe his remains are actually... Like, he's actually yeah, there. Right. Okay. And technically, this mausoleum belongs to Rinoji, that first temple that we visited. So it's like all this stuff is kind of packed together in this area. So it really makes sense that all of this used to be considered, you know, part of the same complex, like the same sacred area. Yeah. But then the Meiji Restoration happened. And they were like, we need to separate all of these things. Yeah. But you can only do that so much. I hear especially in the Toshogu Shrine, you can see a lot of elements of Buddhism still and the design and the carvings and that sort of thing. Hmm. Because you can't just go take a carving off a building very easily. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so we've seen all the temple shrine kind of stuff around here. Why don't we head southwest a little ways? I heard some really cool stuff about the Tamozawa Imperial Villa. Dude, this place (laughs) sounds so cool. I know. The villa was erected in Nico in 1899 using parts of a residence that originally stood in Tokyo. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and the residents in Tokyo were from a branch of the Tokugawa family and were even later on used as the imperial palace for a time. Interesting. But in 1899, it became like a summer residence for the imperial family. Yeah. So what I thought was so cool about this place is the architecture. Like it has those original traditional Japanese stylings, but then since it was Built in 1899 in Nikko, they also brought in more modern Meiji-era stylings. So, for example, I saw there's a pool table in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's one room with a pool table that looks exactly like a fancy Western parlor. Mm -hmm. But then there's a bunch of rooms with tatami mats, and there's the sliding paper doors. Mm -hmm. So it's the really unique, interesting blend of East and Western architecture. Yeah. And it's one of Japan's largest wooden villas. It's huge. Basically, I think of it as like a traditional Japanese-style mansion, you know? Yeah, there's 106 rooms, apparently. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. And you can wander through and see all these rooms. Well, not all the rooms, I think, but many of the rooms you can see. Like, it's it's a museum now. You can see the emperor's bedroom and dressing room. And there's also a Japanese garden outside with a 400-year-old weeping cherry tree. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it suffered neglect after World War II. And then in the year 2000, it was open to the public after mm-hmm. some renovations. During World War II? This is actually where Emperor Hirohito hid out. That's crazy? crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, Tokyo probably wasn't a good place to be. Yeah. It's a nice place to visit. There's multilingual displays that you can read and learn about the place. And relax in the garden before you go. Sounds like a can't miss to me, at least. Definitely. This is on my can't miss Nico list. Me too. The pictures are amazing. It just yeah. looks like such a cool place. Yeah. So not far from that, there's the Kanmangafuchi Abyss. I love that name. Yeah. <laughs> this is a gorge that was formed by a nearby volcanic eruption. And it looks pretty cool. There's a path you can walk along that gives you great views of the river below. 
and the path is lined with more than 70 stone jizo. Now, we've talked about jizo before. He's that friendly bodhisattva that protects children and travelers and stuff, right? Yep. He keeps coming up again and again. Yeah, he's super popular. The gorge is a few hundred meters long, and it's like right in the city or right near the city. It's like right there. Yeah. It's a nice little walk. You enjoy the view. Yeah. So let's walk west along that, and I kind of want to move a little further west, Paul. I'm feeling like getting out into nature a little bit right now. What do you think? Yeah. Should we head out to the lake? Yeah. So, you know, west of here, we're going to be entering an area called the Okuniko region, which is actually a part of Nico National Park, mm-hmm. which is pretty big. Yeah. And very, very pretty and cool. So this lake that Paul mentioned is Lake Chuzenji. This is one of the main attractions in the area. The lake was created more than 15,000 years ago by the volcanic eruption of Mount Nantai. I'm, yeah. That must be the same eruption that formed the gorge, right? You would think? Could be. Volcanoes or, erupt a lot sometimes. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Yeah, the lake is literally right at the base of this mountain. Like the mountain just towers over the lake. Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah, and uh, there's a pleasure boat that leaves every hour that will take you around the lake so you can get all the best views, you know? Who decided to call it a pleasure boat? That just seems like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. I guess there are a lot of different types of cruises you could call pleasure boats, right? And maybe this, the name implies some of the more risque versions of that. (laughs) Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, I just feel like if someone was like, Hey, want to take a ride on my boat, see the lake? I'd be like, yeah, cool. But if this dude was like, want to get on the pleasure boat? I'd be like, no, I don't. (laughs) There's a lot of pleasure in store for you. Come on. It's got a secret basement with all sorts of toys down there. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Let's get back to the lake here. Okay. So near the lake, you'll also find Kagon Falls, this massive waterfall. It's 97 meters high. Or 318 feet. That's, That's so high. It's a pretty big waterfall. Did you know it's one of Japan's three most beautiful waterfalls? I did. I did know that. <laughs> Someone made a list. Yeah. <laughs> did you know that there are three different viewpoints? Well, there's a free observation platform, right? There is. There's a paid platform at the base. And then you can also take a ropeway to what they call Akechi Daira Observation Deck, which is a bit further away, like you're getting more of a distance view. So it gives you like an expansive view of the area. You, you get to see all the trees around it and kind of the valley, and you get to see the lake in the distance. Really amazing view. Nice. Yeah. So I want to go to Lake Shuzenji and spend the whole day there. Yeah. There's an onsen on the east shore, and there's a 25-kilometer-long hiking trail that goes around the entire circumference of the lake. That's a long hike. Yeah, that's like an all-day hike. I want to do that, and then I want to come back and just relax in the onsen and eat a really nice dinner and go to bed. That does sound nice. But, Paul, I think we're going to need to extend our stay in Nico here a bit. Because I have another hike in mind. I'm totally with you on on going around the lake, but the next day we need to do this other hike. Okay, where are we going the next day? Okay, so 
Have you heard anything about the Senjo Gahara hiking course? Uh, no. It looks awesome. So on the north side of Lake Chuzenji, there's another waterfall called Ryuzu Falls. Yeah. And the trail starts there, and then it goes further north through the Senjo Gahara marshland. Oh, it's yeah. Like these, be- these beautiful marshes with mountains all around, and there's like a wooden boardwalk kind of thing that, you know, is raised up above. So it's like not a difficult hike. Like you, you could call it more of a walk, but you know, you'll, you'll need hiking shoes for the parts where it gets a little rocky or whatever, but it's not like serious, strenuous hiking. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So you go past the marshland and then up to another waterfall, Yudaki Falls, and then get this, at the end of the hike, you end up at Yumoto Onsen, a little onsen town just nestled in, in nature up there. And you can rest your feet. That's awesome. Yeah. And this, this hike only takes two to three hours. So, you know, if you're not up for doing the whole lake circumference, this might be a good option. And if that's still too much, you can even hike smaller sections of that because there's a bus that goes along there and makes multiple stops along the trail. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And if you visit in winter, you can even rent snowshoes or cross-country skis. That'd be great to ski. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's also some really nice views of the lake from the Shuzenjiko skyline, which is an eight kilometer long former toll road that got turned into a hiking trail. Nice. So that just goes back and forth, uh, like, I don't know, a quarter of the way around the lake or something. Cool. So you can just go out there, hike for an hour or two, and still get some really amazing views of the lake and the mountain. Yeah. There's also some history nearby, too. What's that? So the elevation's kind of high here. It's over 1,200 meters from sea level being up near the mountains. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot cooler. So there were foreign diplomats stationed in Tokyo that had villas out here. Oh. So there's an old British villa and an old Italian villa that you can go tour now. That's cool. And there's like historical exhibits in each of those places. And those are like right on the shore of the lake. Of Lake Chuzenji? Yeah. Cool. Man, there's so much stuff in Nico, Paul. We need, we need to like stay for a week or something. Yeah, the Natural Science Museum is out this way too. Cool. Yeah. So I know, a week easily. Well, Paul... I think I've had enough nature for now. How do, how do you feel about going back to the city? Let's do it. So I'm thinking we go back a little further east than, you know, Toshogu and all that touristy stuff we're doing. I want to go back to Imaichi. Okay. So this is one of those cities that merged into the expanded city of Nikko in 2006. And there's a lot of cool stuff to do here, too. So I'm thinking we'll go back to Shimo Imaichi Station. There's, I saw some cool stuff around there. Okay. So first, I was thinking, why don't we take a little break and have a few drinks? Yes, please. There's this historic sake brewery called Watanabe Sahe Shoten. Oh, I've heard of these guys. Yeah. We can learn about how sake is made. I heard that they'll give us a tour of the facility. They'll teach us about the differences between different types of sake. They'll teach us about like sake pairings, like best types of food, 
to have with different types of sake. Sounds like a very in-depth place. Like, these guys know their sake. Yeah, they're making sake from locally grown rice with locally sourced water. So you get that authentic Nico sake. It's been open since 1842, and it's the seventh generation owner from the Watanabe family. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I heard the owner himself will often come give tours. That's cool. And just show you exactly what's going on. Learn right from the master. Yep. Awesome. So I heard that they do a full tour, but I think we forgot to make advanced reservations, didn't we? So we're not going to be able to do that. Uh, I guess we'll just get to, we'll just have to drink the sake to experience it. Yeah. I heard that they will still give us a sake tasting. We can just walk in and do that. So let's do that. And then you can buy the best sake once you've tasted them all in their gift shop. Heck yeah. How are you feeling, Paul? You all socket up? Yeah. Excellent. I'm ready to go like do some tourist stuff. Yeah, let's go let's go check out the Cedar Avenue of Nico. So back in the Edo period when Nico was becoming a really popular destination in Japan, they planted all of these Japanese cedar trees along the roads that approached Nico to provide shade for travelers, you know? Yeah. I heard it's the longest tree-lined avenue in the world. Yeah, it apparently holds that record. Even though these days the road is kind of split into different sections, like it's not all connected anymore. But originally they planted an estimated 200,000 trees. These days there are only an estimated 12,500 left because of neglect. And they actually did some logging after the Meiji... Yeah, during the Meiji period, they didn't take care of the trees as well. Yeah, that's too bad. But but right here by, uh, you know, in this area, in Imaichi, I saw, we can still see one of the sections at Suginamiki Park. So let's nice. head on over there. Yeah. Imaichi is really important in the Cedar Avenue. It was originally Matsudaira Masasuna one of Tokugawa Ieyasu's feudal lords who began planting the cedar trees after Ieyasu's death. Mm. And he planted them along three main roads leading to Nikko that all happened to meet up in Imaichi. Okay, so this and, is like the center of it. Yeah, this is like where it all converges and moves on. Cool. Let's check it out. Look at these trees, man. <laughs> They're so big it's and so tall old. and big and beautiful. They're like 400 years old. That's crazy. Yeah, that's so cool. I love old, old trees like that. Trying to imagine 400 years, like that's so long. Yeah. Still be alive. Paul, my feet are getting a little tired. What do you say we head north from here and uh, get back out into nature a little bit, but not for hiking. I want to just like sit in an onsen and relax. You want to go to Kinugawa? Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Kinugawa is a little hot spring resort town mm -hmm. just east, I think, of Nikko. It's like northeast of Old Town Nikko, but pretty much straight north from Imaichi, I think. Okay. So let's take the train up there. So here we are at, uh, at the train station at Kinagawa Onsen. Dude, check this out. They have 
foot baths at the train station. Yeah, those look great. Let's go relax. Yeah. Oh, they're even free to use. We don't even need to pay. This is great. Yep. So, from what I've heard, there are a bunch of public-owned sent around that you can use if you're visiting for the day. But good thing we're staying overnight because we, we're staying at one of those local ryokan, mm-hmm. the traditional Japanese inns. Yeah, of course. And we can use their baths. We, we get a private onsen. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't have to scare anyone with all my tattoos. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't even let us into a bunch of onsen. Yeah. Good they have private ones. And this place is luxurious too. Yeah, very nice. A lot of these ryokan are just like really nice looking. I mean, they got to be pretty fancy if you get your own private onsen, right? Yeah, you'd think so. So this area, Kinugawa Onsen, is named after the Kinugawa River that flows through it, and uh, a lot of the hotels overlook the river. So got a good chance of getting a nice view. And if you want to actually play around in the river, there are some water activities that you can do. They have canyoning tours. There are natural water slides. The canyoning looked so fun. A little scary, though. There are like places where you're sliding down these slippery rocks on your belly. Yeah. And you have like a helmet. So yeah. You get knocked helmet out. and a jumpsuit. Yeah. And there's places where you're jumping off like at least 10 foot cliffs into these little pools mm-hmm. of water. Like it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. So we definitely got to do that. Yeah. Go play around in the cold river and then go relax. In our hot spring onsen in the room. Oh, perfect. You know what I really want to do tomorrow? What? This is a place we've talked about briefly before. Oh, I think I know. But I need to experience the history. So let's go to Edo Wonderland. Yes. Yes. Do I'm it. so pumped for Edo Wonderland, dude. You have no idea. Me too. We're totally <laughs> dressing up. Yeah, yeah. So Edo Wonderland is a history theme park recreating Japanese town life during the Edo period. Yeah, I think of it as like a Renaissance festival sort of thing, but, you know, based in Japan in the Edo period. And every day all year. Yeah. So they have like Edo period architecture. The place is actually used as a film set for uh, for some old-timey movies. Yep. Uh, All the employees are dressed up in period garb. You know, they're going to speak like people did back then. Yeah, they're going to interact with you. Mm-hmm. especially if you dress up. I saw that you could pay extra to have like Lord's clothes and then they're all like extra deferential to you. Yeah, they're like bowing to you as you pass by yeah. and stuff. <laughs> like getting on the ground, the really low bow. You yeah, know? yeah. There's a section that like recreates town for like normal people and then there's like a samurai quarter where everything's nicer and that's what it looked like in the samurai part of town. Cool. I saw there are seven theaters there. They have traditional themed shows and they have all sorts of different activities you can do. Like they have ninja workshops, they have traditional archery, they have shuriken throwing, like little ninja stars. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks super cool. A blacksmith and an armor repair shop that show you how period craftsmen worked. Cool. That seems so cool. There's two wax museums (laughs) that's always fun yeah uh and they're apparently pretty wild like one of them's a jailhouse and it shows grisly scenes of prison life and the other one shows battle scenes (laughs) awesome yeah 
Dude, let's go. Do you hear there's a haunted temple? No. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. There's a house of illusion. There's a ninja trick maze. Apparently, in the trick maze, you can see high enough that you could like see the maze, but it's still like tricky to figure out where to go. Oh, I was thinking it'd be like booby trapped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they can do that to the tourists. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I heard there's a ninja show that's super good. Yeah, a lot of ninja stuff. If you're into ninjas, this is a good place to go. So there is another theme park that I wanted to check out too. Yeah, this, if I know what you're talking about. I think you do. It seems really cool, but a little bit more low key. Yeah. After you spent all your energy ninjaing all day. Yeah, a little more relaxed. So this place is called Tobu World Square. It's basically just a park with over a hundred one to twenty five. Is that how you say that? You know, one colon twenty five scale is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean I would say one one twenty fifth. Okay, there you go. One twenty fifth scale models of famous buildings from around the world. So there are all these different zones for different parts of the world. There's a Japan zone, an America zone, an Egypt zone, Europe zone, and Asia zone. And so like the America zone has like a little model of the White House. Yeah. And uh, the Europe zone has like the Eiffel Tower. And, you know, the Japan zone has all the famous buildings in Japan. But they're like really detailed. And they even have little people around them to show the scale and stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's little people, so you can see what it looks like. I saw they had the Vatican, and there's a modern Japan section, too. So they've got all, like, the classic Japanese buildings, but they've got models of the Tokyo Sky Tree and of Narita Airport. Apparently, that one's popular. They got little mini planes in there, too. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it just looks really cool to go walk around. Yeah. A lot of those buildings I haven't seen in person. It's one thing to look at a picture, but to see, like, the 3D model especially with like, this is how big people are to really get like a more of an impact of like what those buildings must feel like. Yeah. You get to see it from like different angles and stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like I'd walk around like every single one and like, I'd take so much time. Everyone with me would be like, Oh my gosh, Paul, come on, let's go. <laughs> That's how I always feel. when when we're on vacation, I always want to hang back and just spend like so much time at every little thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm good until I start walking and then I'm like, I have to get to the next place I'm going. And I don't know why I'm just like that. Yeah. Yeah. With over a hundred of these models, you could spend a lot of time there. I yeah. Like. I feel like I'd be fascinated by everyone. I'd be reading all the history about it and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm getting really hungry, man. Yeah, man. Let's go try some local specialties. I feel like you're going to talk about Wagyu. I was actually thinking, let's try some Yuba first. I'm down. I'm going to eat so much Yuba while we're here. I'm going to eat all the Yuba. I mean, you won't get bored of it, too, because they have a bunch of different forms of Yuba you can try, you know? So we've talked about Yuba a couple times before. It came up in the tofu episode, because Yuba is basically the skin that forms on a big vat of soy milk. Now, personally, I've only had dried Yuba before. Like, you can buy it at an Asian market, and you just, you know, you put it in water, and and it kind of softens up. But in Nico, you get, like, fresh Yuba. Like yeah. It hasn't been dried. 
and it just it looks a lot more tender and like good <laughs> i don't know it looks good so i've heard the taste described in nico as a mix between tofu and eggs okay i can see that and like i said a lot of different forms i saw you might get it wrapped up into like a little coil mm-hmm. like a spiral of yuba that almost acts like a dumpling like they stick it in soup or you can put some sauce over it flavor it in different ways uh, there's also, I'm really interested to try Age Yuba Manju. Did you see that? What's that? So a manju is a little uh, red bean paste filled. Oh, yeah. Like cakey sort of thing. And are they frying it yeah. inside Yuba? I saw that. Yeah, that's what the Age part, and the Age means fried. So it's like a fried little Yuba ball wrapped around red bean paste. That sounds so good. Yeah. I'm just so curious about the texture, you know? You got the crispy fried stuff on the outside and then kind of the softer yeah. chewy yuba in that. I think they coat it in breadcrumbs before they fry it. it Is it breadcrumbs? Like, I thought it was just or, like a batter, it seemed like. Maybe. Like almost a tempura kind of yeah, batter. Yeah, it did kind of look like tempura. So Nico Yuba is specifically known for being made of two strips of the film. Hmm. So it's a little bit thicker. Okay. Like, Kyoto Yuba is famous too, but it's one strip only. So it, Did not uh, know that. it makes the texture quite a bit different. Yeah. I saw someone talking about a meal they ate in Nikko, one of these fancy, like eight course traditional Japanese meals. And it was like almost every single course had Yuba worked into it somehow. Oh, I think I heard about that place. Uh, Gyoshinte, I think it's called vegetarian kaiseki with a bunch of yuba stuff yeah so cool that you get to try like all the different variations of yuba in one meal Ah, i'm so looking forward to it oh my gosh yeah all right paul well that yuba was good i'm full you can go eat whatever you want yeah i'm still a little hungry we might need to split up for a second because i do want to go try some wagyu okay all right so i don't know what you're gonna do but i'm gonna head over to Guruman's Wagyu restaurant, which is famous for its delicious Wagyu beef. All right, Paul. Well, that was a fun week in Nico. It was a Nico week. That was great. We should probably let people know how we got here if they want to do a similar trip, huh? Yeah, definitely. The easiest way is by the Tobu Railway. There's a Tobu Nikko line that you can get on at Asakusa Station in Tokyo. And then, uh, like I said at the beginning, the ride is less than two hours. Really comfy train. They got nice reclining seats and all that. Like, it, it's an upgrade from the local trains, you know. More of a long distance, real comfy train. Nice. Or if you have a JR Pass already and, you know, you want to get the free trips that you can get with your JR Pass. Yeah. There are also JR lines that will get to Nikko. But if you're using the Tobu line, there are a couple Nico passes that you can get that both include a round trip as well as discounts at local attractions and shops. Yeah, there's a Nico World Heritage Area pass that includes the round trip from Tokyo and then unlimited travel on buses in central Nico and on trains between Nico and Kinugawa Onsen. And the pass is valid for two consecutive days. For it looked like just over two thousand yen, 
Okay. So that's not bad for like all your travel for two days, basically. Yeah, totally. But then if you're going to stay there a little longer like us, there's a Nico All Area Pass that is additionally valid on buses between Nico and Okuniko and several other designated means of transportation around the Nico area. So this is like a more inclusive, wider ranging pass. And this pass is good for four consecutive days. So Okuniko is included. That's that like uh, Nitri part over by the lake that we went to, right? Yep. This pass is going to be four, four and a half thousand yen, uh, depending on the season. But you get four days out of it. Nice. All right. Well, that's all I have to say about Nico, I think. Yeah, same here. Very cool place. Yeah, so cool. Well, if you want to learn more about Japanese stuff, check out our Instagram, your SJP podcast. I'm always posting pictures there and talking about the culture and all that stuff. If you're planning to take a trip to Japan, be sure to check out our travel tools section on our website, which is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Uh, we have a link there where you can buy a JR pass, and it's an affiliate link. So you'd actually be helping us out a lot if you went through that link to get your JR pass. We also have a donate link there if you would like to support the podcast that way. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about a deep passion of mine, karaoke. I love karaoke. Me too, man. Me too. So many good memories. Singing my heart out. A lot of them involve you also singing your heart out. Yeah, man. Let's do some Avril Lavigne duets. I'm so down. I'm so down. Let's do it. Let's cue them up. All right. Well, Paul and I are going to go do that. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>